the Missional Life Podcast, inspiring kingdom-minded believers around the world to live the mission of God in their lives. All right, welcome back to the Missional Life Podcast. Today, we have Jeff Peters on the show. Jeff is the Chief Marketing Officer for Operation Mobilization. He's also the Director of the Mission Gap Project, as well as teaches at Fuller Seminary. But today he's on the show to talk about his new book called The Family Business, a parable about stepping into the life you were made for, a topic we love discussing here on The Missional Life. So Jeff, welcome Welcome. to the show. Thank you so much, Dan and Amanda. It's great to be with you. And uh, thanks to all who are tuning in and listening. Awesome. Jeff, tell us a little bit about The Family Business and why you chose to write it in parable form. Yeah, well... At the end of the day, we learn in parables, right? I mean, we know that through scripture uh, and even even outside of scripture, we, we know that in so many of the ways we teach our kids, uh, the, the stories that we know from childhood, uh, both from the Bible and other places. And so what, what we wanted more than anything else was to provide a story that would allow people to step into the story and make their own connections to how the story relates to their life. And the story, of course, in this case, being a story of uh, how we, as all Jesus followers, are supposed to step into our father's family business. And that's really the nature of of the book. So we chose parable format because uh, it's so much easier to let people make their own connections than it is to just simply sometimes write a book and spew information uh, and hope it connects deeply to the heart. We find that typically parables uh, tend to connect a little bit deeper. Amen. The power story. Mm-hmm. So what was the, um, what was the initial inspiration? You know, what inspired you? Can you tell like back up and just tell us more of the steps as to, you know, making this book and how that all came about? Yeah, such a long journey, but at the end of the day, OM as a ministry, Operation Mobilization, we're about one thing, and that is mobilizing Jesus followers for the mission of God in the world. That's what we do. That's what we've been doing for over 60 years. As a ministry, we became aware of some statistics several years ago that are really floating around the larger church and mission ministry circles for quite some time. And that is the reality that there are depending upon who you ask, there's somewhere between 2.2 and 2.5 billion professing Jesus followers in the world of some tribe of some anywhere from Baptist to Pentecostal to Catholic to, you know, uh, all, all, all forms, any, you know, uh, depending upon where you are in the world, Uh, but less than based on Gordon Conwell statistics that, that they, that they've been tracking for quite some time, Todd Johnson and those guys there, um, they, they track that there are less than a tenth of 1% of existing Jesus followers who are actually engaged in cross-cultural mission. Mm-hmm. So you've got 2.2 to 2.5 billion, less than a tenth of 1% that are actually engaged in cross-cultural mission. And so OM wanted to know why. It's, it's, it's great to know the number, but honestly, if you just look at the number, you get kind of depressed. <laughs> Um, as someone who wants to give your life for this cause, Mm. oh my goodness, what are we missing? And so we started to do research to identify exactly that. What are we missing? What is missing from the body of Christ that helps us to uh, 
say yes to Lord, to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but still not be so sure about what it is we've said yes to, that there's this mission that God has, that he's on a journey and that all nations are involved. And so we did research in seven countries of the world. We sat down with Christians in each of those countries through professional focus group moderation. And we asked a number of questions, but at the heart of it, we wanted to know why do Christians not engage the Great Commission? What is holding us back? And so this book is really based on uh, the characters of the book are based in a lot of the learning that came out of that research. We learned that categorically, um, we have some knowledge barriers and some fears that keep us as Jesus followers uh, from stepping into the, to the life that God has intended us for. Can you tell us a little bit about those fears? What are, I think I saw some of that research and there were, there were a few of them, maybe three of them. Can you tell us a little bit about mm -hmm. those fears? Yeah, the fears were fascinating to us because oftentimes if I were to ask any of you and, you know, if you were to say, what were you afraid of? Oftentimes you get things like spiders, heights, <laughs> um, all those types of things. It's hard to just ask somebody when it comes to stepping into God's, God's purposes for your life, what are you afraid of? It's hard to, to even know what their answer is going to be, or even, mm. even as a person answering that question to know how to answer it. Yeah. Uh, so our fears, what we've labeled as fears have really come out through those focus group discussions as sort of the almost excuses or the reasons why people say they don't get involved. And they, they formed up into three broad categories. First and foremost, especially in the United States, the number one fear is what we call fear of sacrifice or fear of what am mm -hmm. I going to have to give up to step into this missional life? How, what am I going to have to, my, my kids have a great school. I've got this great 401k retirement plan. Uh, I've got, I've got my ideas for what my life is supposed to be. What am I going to have to give up to, to step into God's work? And then in other countries and in the U S as well, to some degree, we also saw what we call a fear of failure, which is mostly rooted in the idea of what if I do it wrong? Um, and, and I don't feel equipped to do it. And then third, the third one that came up is really a fear of safety. And that wasn't just a fear of physical safety for myself and my family, but also um, almost the reputational safety. Like I have a great relationship with my neighbors right now. Um, not sure I would feel safe opening up my mouth and talking about my faith because I, that may ruin our relationship. Like things are good. You know, we share a good fence line. No one's throwing rocks at each other. It's great. Uh, so fear of safety, fear of failure, and fear of sacrifice were the ones that came to the top. Wow. I love that fear of safety because I, I've never really thought about it in that context before that, you know, we usually think of it in physical context. Wow. I'm afraid that I will have danger, you know, something harmful happened to me, but the idea of endangering or, uh, you know, you know, affecting the safety of a relationship. Um, wow. I've never really thought about it that way, but that's, mm -hmm. you know, I know that I've been affected by that sometimes in my own life. Yeah, Dan, it's emotional safety is a big deal. Uh, it's, and I think more, even more so, especially in uh, our day and age where um, whether it be because of COVID or whether people had the lifestyle beforehand, but, you know, 
we made a we made a shift as a culture many years ago to especially in the United States where we know our neighbors less and less. <laughs> so and we we connect with our friends oftentimes less and less. Uh, we get to be a little more insular, and so feeling safe to put myself out there. Um, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of extra. Uh, baggage that kind of comes with it based around the kind of lifestyle that we've, that we've built up for ourselves. We've uh, been involved in different real estate projects and things uh, in the past. And we always kind of make the joke that, you know, as you look at homes as they progress through the years and their kind of their architectural design, the front porch has gotten a lot smaller and the back porch has gotten a lot bigger. And, you know, to that, to that point, you know, we really, you know, don't spend as much time with our neighbors, but we really like to be more solo in the back of our house and, you know, just more, you know, just by ourselves, not necessarily as engaged with our neighbors as historically, right? Uh, so true. You know, uh, there's a great book, which you've probably seen in the past, uh, Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. <laughs> uh, and in it, he goes through a lot of the... Um, Sort of historical realities, you know. He the the title of the book is centered around you know these used to have these great bowling leagues uh, in the United States where people would get together and go bowling, and there's teams and everything else, and those have slight those have kind of dried up over that they still exist and maybe they're they're making a bit of a resurgence actually now, but that was sort of indicative of this lifestyle of we are uh, the suddenly the, the 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 garage is attached to the house. I can click the, the button from my car, the garage door opens up, I can drive in off my street, close the garage door behind me, and I never have to see my neighbors. <laughs> very true. Very true. Well, listen, you know, the, the kind of the subtitle of the book, A Parable About Stepping Into the Life You Were Made For. So it kind of sounds like stepping into purpose. Can you, but first, before we talk about purpose, can you help us understand kind of a difference between a purpose and a calling? Because I feel like that sometimes um, in Christianity, we can get those things confused. They seem very similar, but I think they can be different as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and from your perspective and your research? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. The reality, what we would say um, is that we collective, we as OM, and I would think even, even through this book, part of what we're trying to unpack for people is that we have largely misused and misunderstood in some cases, the idea of calling. We, we heard from a number of people in the focus groups. I mean, direct quotes. Uh, I'll never forget one woman in, in Brazil, because we did our research in, in seven different countries. But in, in, in Brazil, one of the comments was, no, no, I'm, a, I'm just a Christian. I'm not a part of God's mission. Mm. And it was this idea that, uh, no, I'm not a pastor or a missionary. These people have these separate, special, set-apart you know, purposes and callings, and they're the ones that are supposed to be out there. In fact, she talked for a great, in great detail about why it's important to support missionaries, because in her case, it was a missionary who brought her to faith. Mm -hmm. But at no point had it dawned on her that as a Christian herself, now she's a part of the story too, that this is part of her work yeah. to share her faith and to bring more people in. She saw a clear delineation. Uh, and in her words, uh, I, I'm not called for that. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to say is actually when you had said yes to following Jesus, you opted in to the calling he gave to all of his disciples in the upper room. 
his calling has already happened. The call already went out. And when we said yes, we answered that call. Purpose, uh, to, to talk more specifically about your question there, more than anything, we say purpose, and I'd like to think of purpose as being related to the way you live out your calling. Mm-hmm. Calling should not be a question of if. Calling should be a question of how. It's not if you're called. It's how you're called. How has God uniquely shaped you? What are the skills, the passions, the giftings, the experiences that you've had? How has he formed you and transformed you in unique ways for his work in the world? There are people, I have a very close friend of mine who unfortunately has struggled with addiction his entire life. Um, There are people he can reach as a Christian because of parts of his life that God has redeemed um, that he can reach in a way I can't. There's, there's a unique shape that exists to him that can be used for God's purposes that not everybody has that calling. There are people in parts of the world that are much more uniquely skilled and gifted because they speak the language um, than I would be. Uh, so uh, when we, when I talk about living the life you are made for, it's about identifying that God has already called you But what we have to do is figure out what are the skills, gifts, and passions that we bring to the table, and how can we use those for his purpose? Wow. So good. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more, go a little bit deeper with that. How does someone find those skills and those gifts and those things in their life that God has called them to? Most of the time, uh, I like to do an exercise with people where... um, you know, we, whether we like it or not, we are often our own worst critics. <laughs> and we also, we also don't typically know the things that stick out in the minds of other people when they think, oh, when I think of Dan or when I think of Amanda, this is what I think of. So I actually tell people, ask your friends, ask your family, what do they see in you? Yeah. Pray with them. Sit down with the people who, if you've been in small group for a while, sit down with those folks who have known you, who have walked with you through, through circumstances and ask them what comes up. Now, some things are obvious. I speak English. My wife, she was born and raised in Chile. She's a native Spanish speaker. There are ways that she is equipped for sharing the gospel that I'm not equipped. I speak a little Spanish. I absolutely do not sound anything close to a native speaker, and I often get things wrong. So that's not how I'm equipped. Uh, She is very well equipped, and that's just one example. But oftentimes, when it comes to the deeper things, the passions, the skills, the things that really are connected to our hearts. Uh, When we talk to our friends and family and loved ones, people who know us best, uh, as well as, of course, prayer and guidance from the Holy Spirit, um, I think that's how we can make those discoveries uh, to figure out how has God uniquely shaped me for his mission. Yeah, so one thing I want to point out is just you know, asking friends, you know, people you've been in small group with. So a huge part of it really involves getting, you know, being a part of the local church body and being in small groups and having that community to be vulnerable and get to know each other and helping, you know, just iron sharpens iron, you know, and encouraging each other and praying for each other. So as you were sharing that, that just came to mind of just, again, how important being part of local church body is. Yeah, there's nothing uh, quite like that, the, the gathered body. Um, and and it, it, we have to be honest, I mean, these days, especially, it takes all kinds of form. 
Uh, I'm absolutely positive that when we come on the other side of, of uh, these sort of pandemic times and, and churches being closed and other things, one of the things we're going to see is a, a greater openness to, you know, having that person who might be traveling on a business trip to join your small group discussion via Zoom. Um, because from because suddenly Zoom and meetings like that have become much more part of the fabric. And so there's, there's an openness, I think, as we go forward to seeing uh, that community is maybe going to look differently and always going to take different shapes. But when you're gathered together, no matter what form that takes as the body of Christ, inviting the Holy Spirit into that presence, um, yeah, that's the, I think those are the times when you really get to know yourself uh, and when you really get to uh, be uplifted and prayed for by others too. I think it's so important that you said you have others speak into your life, but you also kind of search and, you know, really do an analysis, like a really authentic, just exploration of what you are gifted and what you are talented in, as well as what you love to do. Because we know that God is a God of love. We know that God is a you know, gives us gifts and talents for a reason. And he wants us to use those things. And so, you know, he's not, he doesn't call us into areas that we have zero interest, like no skill sets or anything like that. And says here, you know, yeah, he, he does equip the call. And sometimes he does call us into those situations where we feel uncomfortable, but more often than not, he uses those things that we've already gone through the experiences, the, the talents and the other kind of uh, just skill sets that we've developed in the past and then we get better at those over time and so many times i think so many people are afraid to step out you know into that into that uncomfortable zone or or kind of uh, a fear of failure or a fear of safety because oh i am going to fail or i'm going to i'm going to ruin that relationship and you're you're not really being, you're not, you're afraid because you're stepping, you think you're going to step into something that you're not called to or called for or, or equipped for. And oftentimes when we can ask those relationships, those people that know us the best, that's going to be one safeguard. And then you can look at those desires and that's going to be another safeguard. And that if you use those kind of as kind of those ditches if, um, to help guide you straight forward, those will, will help you help direct you into what God has for you. So, all right. So let's continue this kind of idea of mission purpose and mission calling. And is there one that's more kind of short-term related and one that's more long-term related? I know that sometimes we think of mission, missions sometimes being short-term and sometimes missions being long-term. Can you tell, can you speak to those a little bit more? Yeah. Oh, Dan, you've, you've touched on a soapbox issue for me. <laughs> so my background one of the ways God has, has used me in, in my life, right, is, is in marketing. And in marketing, we talk about language and, and words all the time. Uh, honestly, it's one of the most, one of the reasons I struggled when I was back to seminary and I was uh, looking at, at, at a, a doctoral degree, I, I quickly realized I am not built to write the type of papers. After 20 years of experience in marketing, I, I'm the guy that chooses the fewest words possible. I can't write these long papers and unpack. I just, oh, it's like going completely against my grain. But now you're talking about one of the things, one of the things you're bringing up here is what I believe to be something that we have misused. We have, we have shot ourselves in the foot, so to speak. There is no such thing as a short-term missionary. Mm. That doesn't exist. Not in God's kingdom. 
There's also no such thing as a long-term missionary by that matter. It's just you're, when you said yes to, to God, you're in, period. Now, there might be a place you serve in a shorter, for a shorter period of time or a place or a way you serve for a longer period of time, but it's all on God, part of God's mission. It's, the, it's a bit of the same idea as sometimes we talk about the idea of mission field, as if some, for some reason, maybe there's a, there's a place where you're not supposed to live your life on God's mission. And then there's a place where you are. So it's the way that we use language, and this actually contributes, some of the research indicated these are the words we use that actually contribute to some of the misunderstandings that Christians have. When they say, oh, I'm just a Christian, I'm not a missionary. You go, how does, how does that work? Um, because in our, as folks who live our lives really close to the missions agency and the missions movement and out there in the world, this is sort of the water we swim in. And sometimes we've developed our own vernacular in our own way, which is then translated into churches and into pastors. And it's the way pastors talk from the pulpit. And so we have to get away from the idea of saying short-term missionary, long-term missionary, and just recognize uh, no matter where you are, if you are a Christ follower, you're a part of God's mission in that place. And you may go visit someplace strategically because maybe you're a teacher and then they have a strategic need for teachers in that place. So you're on mission for God as a teacher in that location. But when you leave that place, you're still on mission for God. This isn't a part-time gig. Mm -hmm. You don't get to step on and off of God's mission. Uh, this is all of life all the time. And this is what we signed up for. Amen. So in your book, there's a character and it sounds like his name is, is Jesse. So how, can you tell us a little bit about the story? You know, of course we want everybody to buy the book, but can you give us a high level view of the story and just kind of how Jesse understands this in the book? Yeah. So Jesse in the book, so the book is the family business and Jesse is the owner of the family business. It's his family business. He is the father of five um, husband sort of, uh, owner of this uh, large plot of land, so to speak, in, in the middle of Iowa. Um, and he is getting up there in age, uh, as we all do. It, it happens to all of us, right? And he has decided he's calling all of his kids back together, his five kids. He invites them all back to the family farm for a, for a, for a meal and says, kids, um, it's time for the next generation to step into the family business. I'd like you to take all of the skills, all of the passions, all of the everything that, that you have inside of you, and I want you to bring it to work for the family business. I want you to consider stepping into the family business with your whole life. Bring everything. Um, and the rest of the book really unfolds from that point. We step into the lives of the five different children, these very different characters all of whom are now faced with the same exact uh, invitation and how they will or will not respond to what their father has invited them into, uh, which is to step into the family business. And so Jesse is a loving, nurturing, caring uh, father figure. He is the one who uh, is the biggest champion for each and every one of his kids. He loves their uniquenesses. He loves the way they've been shaped. 
He loves them uh, no matter what. Um, he's very similar to uh, how I imagine God uh, is when he thinks about his own kids, all of us, right? Uh, uh, that loving father who just wants nothing more than his children to step into his family business. I think that's so important too, just knowing the father is loving, you know, who are we doing this mission for? You know, do we know who we're living this mission for and who is inviting us to be part of, you know, the family business, you know, as he wrote in the book, but, you know, as, you know, um, just in talking about God's kingdom, you know, who is the father? It's just so important to know him and know his character and know that he loves us and he's for us and he loves our uniquenesses. He doesn't, you know, play favorites. He's no respecter of persons. So I just yeah. love that you brought that up. Oh, thanks. Yeah, Amanda. It's such a, honestly, it was, um, it was challenging to continue to come back to making sure that when I'm when when you're telling the story of a guy named Jesse who ultimately is supposed to represent in some ways this idea of God, that his character throughout the book is consistent with um, kind of who I how I would imagine God God being. We, we you can't have that be inconsistent, and that's honestly it's a, it was a, it was one of the tougher things to try to hold true to throughout the writing. Hmm. So tell us a little bit about that because you know, as a, as a father instructing his children on kind of stepping into purpose, how, what kind of, what did you find out? How does a parent, we were talking earlier about parenting. We, we, we all have uh, children, younger children. Yeah. How does a parent effectively guide their, their children into finding the purpose of God in their own lives? We talk about this a lot in our family with uh, my wife and I, we have, uh, a little girl right now. She's 21 months old as of today, and in a couple of weeks we um, we'll be welcoming another uh, another baby, a little boy, into our family as well. Wow, congratulations! Um, and uh, it, it's the the reality is there is a there is a lie in the world that we have to overcome, which says uh, you can be anything you want to be. Mm. Culturally, I, I mean, I was told that as a kid, you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up. Yeah. Um, while, there, while there may be some truth to that statement, the reality is as a parent, I don't want to guide our daughter or our son to be whoever they want to be. I want to steward their life so that they understand who God has called them to be. Because... Yeah. I believe hap happiness uh, does not come from being whoever you want to be. Happiness comes from being exactly the person and doing exactly the thing that God shaped you and created you to do. So it's not about whatever you want. Um, it's about doing the things that God has shaped you, formed and transformed you uh, to do. And so as a parent, that's, that's probably one of the biggest uh, things that uh, for us, uh, as, as parents, I should say, that, that we try to stick to all the time. We, we, we want to look for those leanings. We want to look for, uh, just the other day, our daughter wandered into a room and started playing on a piano and singing. Now, she doesn't have very many words, um, but we could tell she was playing the piano and singing along. So mm -hmm. 
I don't know. Maybe there's something with that. Or, you know, unfortunately she was, she was sick a couple of weeks ago and we spent a, we spent a night in the ER and she came back and pulled her little play stethoscope out and put it on. And we're like, well, clearly the doctor made an impact right <laughs> now, but we're, we just, we have to watch for those things and pray uh, that God can make obvious what her shape is, what he has designed her for. We know that since she is on this earth, it is for his purpose. That's not debatable for us. The question becomes how, how is she being shaped and formed by him? What's the purpose that he has asked her to step into? So that's, that's how we think about it as parents. You know, I think that's a really great point that you brought up about just purpose and, you know, what we hear from our parents that, oh, you can do anything that you want to do. And we think about this idea in America, like what they have, they have potential. And I was listening to a teaching the other day about this idea of potential versus purpose. And we all have the, the potential to do many, 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 many things. And yet, purpose is very, can be very different. And I, I heard this teacher speak about how, you know, in a lot of ways, like Jesus didn't really live up to all his potential, but he fulfilled his purpose. And that's what, what was important. You know, he, he could have done many, many, many other things and he could have been super successful, but that, but he didn't do those things because he fulfilled the purpose that God gave him. And I thought that was really interesting because so many times we think about, oh, I've, I've, you know, you hear that from your coaches or from your teachers. Oh, you have potential. Or you hear that from your parents. You, you have potential. But what, as parents, what we want to really instruct them into doing is finding that purpose, not potential. And I think there's just a huge defining line. And when we can find that, find that purpose and leave out potential, and sometimes they call a line, but oftentimes purpose can be very different than what you have the potential to do. I, I completely agree. There's a lot of things we could do. Um, <laughs> uh, my, my own, uh, in my, I can think of times in my childhood when I was repeatedly told, yes, there's a lot of things you can do. It doesn't mean you should uh, do them. <laughs> um, and uh, I think that was my mother's way of just thinking of just saying, make good choices. But um, uh, ultimately it, it speaks to the same idea, right? We want to find, you know, you want to focus on things that are related to your, your purpose in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think innately in a, in a lot of ways, we know what we could or what we should be doing. I think we can kind of look around and, you know, but that kind of sometimes breaks down in what we actually are doing. Can you speak to that? Say that one more time. Yeah. So can you explain the gap or can you explain what's different between what Christians know that they should do and what they actually do in reference to kind of their mission and living missionally? Yeah, absolutely. So there are three big knowledge gaps that came out, um, which really speak to this. Uh, but as a, as a, as a broader picture, we realize that, you know, there's to my to what I was mentioning earlier, 2.5, 2.2 billion, whatever the number is, whoever you're following, um, 2.2, 2.5 billion Christians in the world, and less than a tenth of 1% actually out there in cross-cultural missions. Now, of course, not everybody is, is purposed for cross-cultural missions, right? But 
when we also understand that there are 3 billion people in the world who do not live uh, with a Christian neighbor or where there's no church in their immediate community, there's no way for them to really understand God's love for them. It, it speaks to this gap of uh, what Christians are called to do, designed to do, and what we actually do, which is if 2.5 or 2.2 billion believers exist in the world, uh, and there are still 3 million people who don't know Christ's love, then we're not doing our part. Mm. Um, worse yet, actually, if you look at the trend lines, those, if you look at the trend lines, those stats actually grow by roughly 60,000 people daily. So just because of the population growth in those parts of the world, every day there are 60,000 more people added to those numbers. If we could just flatten the curve, speaking of flattening the curve, <laughs> we've heard that phrase a lot lately, yes. but in the missions world, right, if we could flatten that curve and actually start to see so that every day there's fewer and fewer people added to total global population who will live and die and never understand who's Christ's love in their life. Um, and it's not just about, uh, I think this is an important point too, it's not just about um, caring for the eternal uh, eternal location of their soul, right? I'm not talking about just keeping people out of hell. I'm talking about giving people an example of Christ's love so that they too, while they are here on this earth, can understand the life they have been called to live out, that they can share God's love with their neighbor, that they can understand uh, who he is and how he loves them. It's that, that is so much, um, so much more of the important piece of letting people live a life as a part of God's work in the world. And so when it comes to identifying this mission gap for us, it's the, it's the, the chasm, this massive chasm between uh, the 2.2 or 2.5 billion Jesus followers in the world who have said, yes, Jesus, I will follow you with my whole life. And yet still less than a tenth of 1% are engaged in cross-cultural mission. We have got to do more to help Christians understand that they are already a part of this work. As a Christian, you are a missionary. Mm -hmm. It is with your whole life and it's to all nations. Those are the three big pieces that people need to understand. As a Christian, I'm a missionary. It's with my whole life, 24-7. There is no part-time thing in this. And there, is, there are 3 billion people in the world who, if I am not a part of a movement of going and sharing God's love, they may never learn. Wow, well said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just want to go back to, you know, what you were saying about it's more than, you know, keeping someone out of hell, getting them into heaven. That Yes, we want people to know Jesus, but we also want to equip them to continue their walk with Jesus while affecting others around them to keep, to keep the multiplication going, you know, that um, just multiplication versus addition, multiplication will continue throughout generations, um, whereas addition, that, that can stop, you know. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah, thanks for picking up on that. That's such an important point. So with your book, what is the biggest takeaway that you're hoping that the reader will have after reading your book? Well, the, the book itself, so 
if the reader picks up the book and reads through, one of the things that I'm really hoping will become clear is that all of us are, are called to be a part of God's family business. Mm -hmm. This is something for all of us. There are additional, I mean, there's five different characters. Uh, so you might see yourself in all of the five children. You might see you, you might really resonate with one of the five children. Maybe you're the, uh, uh, the hyper-focused type A personality that is Evie. She's the, the oldest daughter of the family. Maybe you're the, the more contemplative, uh, sort of down to earth, uh, Dave, who is, a he's more of a counselor type, uh, or maybe you're the, 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 you know, <laughs> the sort of the, the food truck owner who is Mo, uh, just <laughs> want, he, he was all about, um, all about, um, eliminating what he calls urban food deserts and bringing food, you know, to the people in the middle of the country who need it. Right. So you might see yourself as, as them, and there's still two other characters as well. Um, but my hope is that people will start to connect the dots and recognize that as a Jesus follower, when you said yes to God, you joined the family business. It's just a matter of figuring out how do you bring what you have to work for the family business. And so in addition to the book, if, if, if someone were to go to the family business parable, Dot com, which is the website for the book. You can also download a personal or small group reflection guide so that you can take a deeper look at some of the questions, look at some scripture that references and really have some discussion around it. There's going to be, there's videos posted um, that allow people to go into a deeper dive on some of these topics. There's even sermon outlines that pastors can use uh, to try to help share some of these ideas, but it all centers around the single idea that as a Christian, you are already a part of God's family business. It's just a matter of figuring out how you're supposed to step in. Wow. Amen. Say that website one more time for, for the listener. Sure. Thefamilybusinessparable.com. And we'll have that in the show notes for you listeners. It sounds like, you know, you've written this book and yet the proceeds from the book are not necessarily going to you. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, 100% of the proceeds from this book go to uh, more resources to equip, to inspire, equip, and connect Jesus followers for where they're going to serve God's mission in the world. Uh, that is this mission. That's the work of Operation Mobilization. That's what we do. Uh, and so our focus, our hope is uh, that we can use this book as a way of inspiring people for the cause and raising funds uh, to continue this work. Um, Operation Mobilization, uh, we uh, have been at this for quite some time. And so uh, it, it just makes sense that if we're, for me at least, we're putting out a book that's centered on the mission of what we know so passionately to be God's purpose for all of us in this world, that the proceeds and everything can be stewarded back for his work in the world. So that's what we're trying to do. Awesome. So good. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of this book came out of research. It came out of, you, you identified the, the three fears that we discussed earlier. You know, we talked a lot about fear. What does research indicate, you know, is there a way, 
how do people overcome the fear of walking into the unknown and walking into that mission, that, that calling that God has for them? Stepping into our fears and overcoming our fears is when it comes to God's call. Now, there, there are all sorts of fears, right, that we can have. You can be afraid of spiders or heights or uh, any number of things. And those typically don't have a lot to do with um, our, our, our purpose and our calling right. in life. But, you know, when it comes to fear to step into the thing we know God has already put in front of us, and scripture makes clear, right? He, you know, Christ, Christ shows up in the upper room. This is, this is the second half of the Easter story, right? Mm. This is Easter night. Hey, I came back. By the way, here's your job. Go out and do this work. Go make disciples. Um, very clear. And so when it comes to fears related to stepping into that, I like to think back to Moses, right? Moses was uniquely equipped, right? He was a split culture guy, came from, was raised from one culture, but really came from a, from a different culture. And God calls him and says, I've got a job for you. And Moses is flatly against this idea. He's got no interest. He eventually says, send someone else. Um, but as he begins to uh, one, one, put one foot in front of the other, and to follow God's call, he sees that God is with him in the journey. And I think that's so important for all of us. As we put one foot in front of the next and do the work that God has called us to do, we get to see how God comes with us. And a couple things happen. Number one, we grow as disciples. As we work as disciples, God continues to transform us and bring us closer to him. I truly believe that the more we step into God's work, the more we understand his nature, the clearer we can hear his voice and, and know what he'd like us to do for the next steps forward. But it is one step at a time. It's a light unto our feet, right? It's not a spotlight down the road. <laughs> it doesn't good. tell us the whole journey. And frankly, I think sometimes if we could feel the whole journey, we would be way too freaked out to start. Yes. So if we could just start by taking one step at a time and putting one foot in front of the other, putting our faith in God and putting our fears aside, we can really start to live our lives as, as great uh, examples to others of what it means to be a disciple. I think that's such an amazing principle. And you just, you said it so well, but this idea of kind of going from faith to faith and kind of looking at success and trusting that that success will lead to the next success. And, you know, I think that that's when we develop that relationship with God, as we have that, we see him come through in past experiences. We can trust him for future experiences as well. And just the, and, you know, we may not be able to see it, like you said, but we've seen him come through in the past. And though we can't see it, we can trust him that we will keep on going, that we will step into that new, that new thing past that fear, because, you know, perfect love casts out fear. And when we know, when we, when we know love and when, when we know who it is, we know who our dad is. We were talking about the story and, you know, the father in this book. And when we know our father and we know that we have a good father and we know that he's for us and not against us and that he has good plans for us and that he desires that we, you know, that we uh, are, we, we are in good health and that we prosper and that he, that, you know, it's to his glory that we bear much fruit. You know, he wants us to, it's to his glory that we are successful and that we, you know, that we 
accomplish those things that he puts in, in front of us. So he's for us. And when we know dad, when we know the heart of father, then we can, we can push past those fears that try to limit us and hold us back from stepping into those things that he has called us into. So, uh, so true. Yeah. You said it so well, Dan, it, it's, it is a journey. We too frequently, I think for years, much of the church, this is one of the places that we've, we've stumbled. Uh, I think we've sometimes put so much focus on that initial decision point have someone make a decision to follow Christ, right? Um, and then in some cases, often once they make that decision, we've moved on, right? But, but the journey begins there, right? This is, this is the point at which you said, yes, God, direct my path. Okay, so the journey begins. <laughs> We're, he's going to direct your path. Um, and, and, and discipleship is this ongoing process of going from faith to faith and trusting that, um, that I'm going to be putting myself in God's hands as we move forward. It's a little bit trite. I think a lot of people have, have heard this, but of course, you know, we hear that God wants, you know, he doesn't want necessarily followers. He wants disciples, right? And to be a disciple, it takes discipline. And, you know, discipline in, in, in trusting God, discipline in, in prayer, discipline in kind of taking those next steps. And, you know, so many times we just let fear hold us back or we feel insecure or we don't quite know or we don't spend that, that the amount of time, that discipline of just being still enough to hear that voice of the Father guiding us into the next step. So, you know, really being a disciple requires, requires discipline. And, you know, and sacrifices will be involved Mm -hmm. in, you know, in different ways for, for each of us, um, things that, um, may seem important to us at a time. Um, but as you follow Christ, you realize, oh, I wasn't really giving up that much. You know, we are so sold, you know, to live a comfortable life, you know, to make sure we have that perfectly hot cup of coffee, you know, all these comforts that just, you know, feed that that fleshly (laughs) desire to not be in, you know, not have any discomfort at all. And yet, you know, Paul who went through so much being, you know, in missions himself, being a a Christian missionary, um, went on journeys, you know, was shipwrecked on an Island and (laughs) um, and... he's the, you know, he said these light and momentary afflictions are nothing compared to what lies ahead. And, I think that that's so important to remember that, you know, things that, you know, the things that we may need to give up, you know, the famous quote by Jim Elliott, of course, is he is no fool who can, who gives up that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. And your priorities shift as your heart becomes more in alignment with the father. Mm. And I'm sure you see that all the time with um, operation mobilization and other, um, you know, relationships that you've built where, Um, people just, they love the Lord so much that it feels, it doesn't feel hard to give up things in order to gain better things. Yeah. Amanda, you're spot on. And, and I think one of the things that we've learned over the years inside operation mobilization is we, as, as an, as a discipleship organization, you know, an organization of disciples who make disciples, that's, that's really who OM is. One of the things we've learned is um, there are artificial barriers 
that we put in our that we put in our own way sometimes you know there are more ways for people to go and serve and be part of god's mission than simply saying i'm going to give up everything and move to another country mm-hmm. uh and i'm going to have my church and my pastor and my family and friends support me along the way that is one model absolutely mm-hmm. but we now know countless people who have simply said look i'm I went to school for engineering. I'm working as an engineer. Um, I found, you know, once I, once I really had a, an awakening to understand how many people there are in the world and that there's that don't know Jesus and that there's parts of the world where there are no churches. Um, we've talked to people who've just taken their skills, applied for a job overseas, gotten hired. Mm-hmm. And now they're just, they're employed by an employer as an engineer or a doctor or a nurse or whatever uh, to be in that part of the world. And that they have a, it gives them a credible reason to be there, which so frequently people that are traditional missionaries, we struggle with our credibility. So how are you, how are you affording to live here? Well, you know, as a Christian, you know, people send, send me money. Oh, so if I'm a Christian, people send you money. No, no, <laughs> that's not what we're saying. Um, but there's this idea of, look, if you can find a credible way to be there and a sustainable way to be there uh, and engage in, and build community while you're there. Um, there are countless ways that God wants to use and equip people uh, to serve in other parts of the world. Um, now, those are just a couple examples, of course, but but there really are countless ways. And so, I just want an encouragement, I think, for your listeners. If you are someone who is really wondering how do I step into this, um, I would say. Um, first take a look at how God has uniquely skilled and equipped you. What are the gifts and skills and passions you bring to the table? Uh, are you a teacher? Are you uh, a plumber? Are you an engineer? Are you a doctor? Um, I promise you those skills are needed in a part of the world where Christ and Christ's love is felt uh, in a scarce way, where there's few and far, where churches are few and far between and Christians are few and far between. Um, and so, if you are uh, open to, uh, to making a move, uh, I would encourage you to look at stepping into doing it. Uh, and it's not just about giving everything up. It's about taking what you have and going to do God's work with it. And I love where Jesus says, you know, where your treasure is, where that's where your, you know, that's where your heart will be, you know, and um, I think that in so many ways we can guide our heart by where our treasure is or where, where, where our money is, where our time is, where our, you know, those things lie, like we can actually steer our heart towards those things as we, you know, as we, you know, give to something, we become more interested in it, we become more focused on it. Why? Because it, it requires something of us, it requires our time, it requires our money. And I love how, you know, Jesus, like it, when we're, when we're trying to get into something, we're trying to, you know, decide about uh, a purpose or some, a, a calling that we think God has, like give to it, give some time, give some money and see what God does in your heart. And if, you know, and then it doesn't really become, it's not really a sacrifice anymore. It becomes, wow, like I'm so fulfilled by this. I can't wait to give more towards that. And I think that's just really a, a, a good way of, uh, of discerning, you know, cause we're called to discern and we don't want we, we go back to that potential versus purpose idea. And, uh, so we want to be all involved and in doing the things that God has purposed for us to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'll, I'll share just one, one final story, uh, that, um, I always think about, I, I served for a little while at a, at a small church in Southern California and, 
we were at choir practice one night and uh, there was a woman, she was 87 years old, I think at the time. And she uh, had heard through the grapevine within the community that the local homeless shelter really needed volunteers to come out and serve meals. And so she showed up at choir practice with a clipboard and said, hey, I'm just taking sign-ups. You know, the local homeless shelter has this need. Uh, so let's, uh, let's, all, let's all get involved. And, and the clipboard went from the first person to the second to the third. And by the third person, uh, you know, th this woman, Miss, Miss Addie, as we called her, stood up and said, excuse me, have we all forgotten how to write our names? <laughs> and, and, uh, and the woman who had the clipboard at the time, she said, well, listen, Addie, I mean, I, I know you have a passion for this and you're excited about this, but, you know, my husband and I, we're retired, we're here. Um, you know, it's a little bit, this is just not the, this is not the kind of work that we do anymore. And, 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 uh, and Miss Addie just looked at her with her 87 year old eyes full of wisdom and said, uh, that's great. I can appreciate that. But I figure as long as God has me on his earth, it must be for his purposes. So uh, let's go ahead and write our names down anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it was just a great reminder for me. I thought, you know what? That's right. As long as I'm here on this earth, and Miss Addie went on to say, if God thought I was done, I'd be done. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, but we're here. And so therefore, it's for his purposes. And it's just a matter of figuring out how do we step into the life we were made for. So yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, sounds like an amazing book. We can't get wait to, for our listeners to get a hold of it. Um, for those that want to, you know, that read it, that want to hear more about you, connect with you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, great. So if you go to uh, thefamilybusinessparable.com, uh, you can do a few things. One, you can purchase the book. Let me encourage you. There's going to be a few links. You can buy it from Amazon, from Barnes & Noble, from Christian Books. There is one link there that is to biblestore.com. Biblestore.com is a ministry of OM, uh, and that is how we can make sure that beyond just the the smaller portions that we would get through Amazon or other things, uh, purchases through BibleStore.com ensure that actually the own ministry gets 100% of the retail price. So the retail price is $7.99. Uh, the book is available as of October 5th. Uh, and when you go to the website, you can uh, make the purchase. You can connect with me. Uh, you can download the study guides, sermon outlines, reflection series, more videos, content, et cetera. So the family business parable.com. Wonderful. Listeners, go ahead, grab a book and pick it up, connect with Jeff. We have seen uh, portions of it. It looks amazing, exceptional. Mm -hmm. Jeff, what an honor to have you on the show today. Thank, Thank you. you so much for your time. Thank you. Oh, Dan and Amanda, it's been great to chat. And I just, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, greetings and blessings to you and all your listeners. And, uh, it's a great pleasure to be in this same ministry with all of you. So, yeah. Amen.